Today on the Marvel Cinematic Universe Podcast, we're discussing the ethics of S.H.I.E.L.D. from the movies down to TV with super special guest Matthew Westfox from the Superhero Ethics Podcast. All that right after this. Hey guys, today's show is brought to you by HelloFresh. For a total of $60 off, that's $20 off your first three boxes, visit HelloFresh.com slash MCUcast60 and enter promo code MCUcast60. Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic Universe Podcast. My name is Matthew Carroll. And I'm Jeff Randall. And as we mentioned in the intro, we have a special guest this week, Matthew West Fox from the Superhero Ethics Podcast. What's Woo! up, Matthew? Hey, guys. I am uh, super excited to be here. Uh, I've been a big fan of the podcast, been a big fan of the music, been a big fan of all this, so I'm just uh, glad to be the next one on your list. <laughs> he referenced my music. He won my heart. <laughs> Did he set your heart on fire? Ah, oh, you guys. <laughs> Keep them coming. Keep them coming. <laughs> no, if you want to get all these jokes, go listen to Left to Burn by Matthew Carroll on iTunes, Spotify, <laughs> and Apple Music, and all these other places. I'll pop my 8-track in. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. I'll send you an 8-track. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Oh, that's got to be the next thing. Everybody's doing records. Like, you think they'll ever do, like, produce 8-tracks again? <laughs> Probably not, but we need to shoot a movie on Betamax. Mm-hmm. Hey, I was at someone's house last night who had VHS tapes. So, you know, for some people, the, 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 the past is now. Oh, man. Yeah. Whoa. I have so many VHS tapes. Oh, you know what? No, I think I threw out my VHS tapes. I just have tons of DVDs that I also never touch. <laughs> it's all, all dead technologies. Slightly <laughs> less space taken up per movie, but still an unnecessary amount of space taken up. That's true. It's true. We are going to be talking about everything from the movies to the TV shows, so if you're not caught up in Marvel, we'll try to do some intermittent spoiler alerts, but we are going to be spoiling some stuff. So, the Netflix, the movies, the TV, so be on the lookout for that. We're talking about Ethics of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, I, I'm excited about this. I, I'm actually nervous about this. Uh, we have the ethics master himself, Matthew Westfox, who <laughs> I, I don't even... I don't know how I frame ethical conversations even. I think I kind of do. I need to do a little more research on ethics. I like I ethics is <laughs> ethics is like uh pornography. I know it when I see it, you know? <laughs> well, I, I think it's actually a great jumping off point for the conversations because like when I when I was first starting the podcast, uh the superhero ethics podcast, that was something I, I kinda wrestled with because I, I do have an academic background in ethics, but that's certainly not what I wanted to, to go for. But to me, ethics at the end of the day just means thinking about questions that can help us to make decisions in our own lives. And part of what I love about these movies so much and part of what I love about comic books and all the things that inspire them is that, you know, ever since these, you know, these movies, these TV shows, even the comic books originally, that ever since these started, these were fun stories. They were entertaining, but they were also morality plays. They were also, um, you know, things that got people thinking about ethical questions. Ever since, you know, Batman first decided that the police of Gotham weren't doing their job, so he needed to do the, you know, what he wanted to do to to do to do, you know, to to break the law to save the law. Um, you know, it was Superman with the first Captain America. Um, so for me. I don't even think of ethics as something separate from these movies. I think they're always there. I think these questions, you know, when people walk out of Civil War and ask, you know, and they're debating Team Cap or Team Tony, that's an ethical conversation. When people are talking about Winter Soldier and how great it was and were really what should the government be doing in terms of that kind of regulation, you know, th those are ethical conversations. Um, and I just like, uh, you know, getting the chance to sit down with you guys and talk about, uh, you know, put a little more, uh, put a little more light on those. 
I totally agree with you. Uh, my, uh, my fear is diving into an actual ethical conversation. Like, specifically, we are going to talk about ethics. My fear is that I'm going to... Uh, I'm ill-equipped. Yeah, I'm ill-equipped. <laughs> like, like it, it, when I'm watching a movie, if I, if I don't... If I'm watching these movies and we're doing our normal, our normal Marvel talk, and then we're like... I, I can always just kind of default to, yeah, but it was real cool. Like that's just like, like it was tend, really pretty. We tend to just fan out on things, which is a lot of what our show is, is like theorizing what's coming next and just getting into the more like uh, we're a little less oh. meta about it. We're more directly into the content and uh, talking ethics is 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 interesting. It, it just I, I fear I'm going to step in it, but here we go. We're going to do it. <laughs> well, and, and, and what I would say is, and especially to the listeners, like I think this conversation is going to be actually a lot more similar to the, to the ones you normally have. Because when I listen to you guys, you guys have a lot more ethical conversations, I think, than you think you do. Because I think these questions are just, every time we're talking about, like, is this person a hero or a villain? You know, what were they doing? It's, I, I just think these things are behind the surface all the time. For sure, yeah. for sure. And there's, there's always the things like, you know, your Punisher and Wilson Fisks of the world, like, how far is too far to save your town? Right. Like, that's, yeah. that's the obvious ethical question. Which but then there's, like, I loved, what I should loved. Tony have done? I loved your answer to that, by the way. If, if, if any of you guys are listening and you haven't listened to this episode, I've already mentioned it on the cast, but uh, we did an episode where we talked about matchups we want to see, and I said on there, uh, I wanted to see Punisher and Wilson Fisk go at it, because I think it, there's a lot of good moral questions there, like because they kind of have the same... They're the same opposite of the coin of Daredevil. And so I said, superhero ethics, you need to tackle that. And the next week, they did, and it was awesome. <laughs> um, I really loved it. But my what I loved that you got to was was something that uh, I really agreed with, and it's kind of that Wilson Fisk is, in a, in a lot of ways, is more ethical yeah. than, uh, at least his motivations are more ethical than Frank Castle's, because Frank Castle's doing it in, in a way just for revenge. He's not, he's not a Batman. He, you never hear him say, I gotta stop them from doing this so they don't do it to anyone else. He is out yeah. for revenge, and Wilson Fisk is out to stop he Wilson Fisk kind of is Batman in that way. Like he's mm -hmm. he, he you, you see his childhood and he doesn't want any other child to go through what he went through. So he's trying to save his city for the but he just his me his means to those ends are much darker um and, than and, Batman's and the, at least. And I think the question you're getting at there is one that that I think comes up all the time and certainly is gonna come up in when we discuss Shield, which is you know, you can have what, like, at least with Kingpin and Punisher, they're both fairly clear. P Punisher never tries to claim he wants anything but personal revenge. The people who I think get really interesting is the folks who want revenge, but convince themselves that they're doing it for some bigger purpose, you know? For um, sure. Uh, like, and we'll get into it, but even like with Yo-Yo, you know, when, when she, um, in the TV show, and we're going to get more into that later, but she's just a great example of someone who has a lot of personal anger, but also wants to do things for the right reason. And, and that's an issue I think we see in the movies all the time. We see in all these things of, you know, just how easy it can be to convince yourself that you have these big, grand, you know, noble aspirations, when really what you're doing is dealing with your own pride or revenge or whatever that is. Yeah, yeah that, sure. that reminds me of uh, in the comics, in the Civil War comic, like it got to a point where the question was less about what's right for the heroes and how much of this is just Cap's stubborn pride keeping yeah. everybody in the fight. Yeah. And I think something similar can can be seen in the uh, in the Civil War film. You know, how much of this is just Cap like 
you know, just wanting to protect a friend, but that friend has done some really bad shit. But then yeah. there's there's that ethical question of like, is he redeemable? Can Winter Soldier be brought back? Is he is he ethically sound to be a hero later? I mean, we you, we could do an entire episode just on the question of what's the moral culpability of people who are act, who have been brainwashed, you know, who are being programmed or like in these comic book stories, we get so many different ways of people doing things, you know, Talbot, you know, our, our, uh, um, you know, winter, Bucky winter soldier, um, you know, what, uh, what, what's one of my favorite situations is what, what happens when our hero is facing people who are being mind controlled, but has to fight them. Like yep. yeah. you killed it's not their fault. They're under someone's control, but they've got a gun and they're going to do bad things. Does the hero get to kill them? Yeah. I've, like, been, I've been watching Ash versus evil dead all day. Uh, oh yeah. Because I do. Uh, and, <laughs> and I just finished Something that series, sometimes. but there's all these people getting possessed by spirits and he just immediately starts hacking them to death. And yeah. I think there's lots of, exa- I, I'm not totally sure about this, but I think once they're, if they're just being possessed, they can be unpossessed in that show. And he's just mm-hmm. like hacking citizens up with his chainsaw. And I was like, eh, I don't know about that man. I don't know that. I mean, I know they're all trying to kill you, but you're not even trying to restrain. Uh, you're yeah. just hacking them up with a chainsaw. And I still love you, Ash, but, uh, <laughs> cause Ash, Ash never claims to be an ethical, uh, ethical person. Um, and, yeah. and, and it kind of reminds me, that's, that's another thing is like these shows, and I think this goes for Punisher. I don't think Punisher, the show, and I mean, we can definitely dive into this. Uh, I don't know if we want to yet. I know we're talking, we're supposed to be talking about S.H.I.E.L.D. and we barely mentioned it so far, but <laughs> that's fine. Uh, talking about Punisher, I don't think he ever claims he's right to do what he's doing. Yeah. And so and now whether the show claims that he's right is a different question. And well, I think it's it's hard, it's a hard question. <laughs> the, in in the Punisher show he never claims that he's right, but he does have that ethical discussion with Daredevil in season 2 yeah. when he says, you know, you hit him, they get back up. I hit him, they stay down. Right. Well, I, I think I I, well, I should say he never. It's, it's not that he doesn't think what he's doing is right. He never claims to be a hero. I guess that's what he's doing. What he yeah. thinks is necessary. Yeah, he says that my ways are effective. He's not trying to protect the law or whatever. He's just trying to get vengeance because <laughs> he thinks it's justice or whatever. Well, and I think I think that that point, especially Jeff, what you just said, um, is really dead on because that that scene between Daredevil and um, Punisher on the rooftop is is maybe one of my top five favorites in all the MCU. I mean, I think it's just such a great conversation. I agree. And I think more than anything, what's happening there is that it's it, it's not even that Punisher doesn't see himself as a hero, but that he kind of thinks that everybody else who calls themselves a hero is being a little bit ridiculous. You know, it's and, and it's that kind of great. Um, mm. It reminds me of, you know, I, I, it's a trope we see sometimes, but I think is so good, which is where you've got a hero who is, is holding themselves to a code, and now someone else comes along and is like, isn't this really kind of dumb? Like, if you're going to hurt the bad guys, why don't you just kill them? You know, if you're going to try and fight crime, why hold yourself back? Um, yeah, man. And see, there I jump in and I'm like, but the hero can't kill the bad guy because the bad guy can be redeemed or something. They go to jail and that's how, that's how our society right. works. A- after, our society yeah. crumbles without laws. After the fourth time the Joker escapes the asylum, Batman should have killed him. Right. Like, like, like I'm sorry. 
That's that's or, that's like practical or, ethical. That's very very practical <laughs> ethics. I don't know if it's or, called ethics. It's just practicality. He's murdering so many people every time he gets out. I might just start by having Bruce Wayne donate five million dollars to increase security at Arkham Asylum. Um, sure, <laughs> sure, 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 sure. <laughs> but yes, that that's I I think that 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 becomes an issue of, um, you know, I I'm not one who myself is ever in favor of the death penalty, but I, but I think you have to get into questions of. Where one of the things that I'm always very interested in, I think the MCU is very good at this, is is really pushing the idea of when is all these characters are broken in some way, like they're all carrying baggage, and and when is a character's own baggage coloring their judgment in some way? You know, like Tony Stark, probably my favorite character, at least in all the movies. He killed my he, mom. Yeah, he had. Well, it's you killed my mom, but it's also he's carrying so much guilt and so much PTSD about what happened to him and what he has done that he's now super afraid of anything ever happening. And he, he couches it in these other terms. The world has to be somewhat protected from heroes like him. And he's painting it as though everybody, but really on some level, I think he means, please, Sokovia Accords, stop me from, from potentially destroying the world again. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's such an interesting question of looking at these different heroes with... What's the thing that they're carrying? Well, it's the um, same thing with. And I was actually going to bring this up a few minutes ago. We had that whole conversation about Tony Stark when we did our superhero ethics episode about the ethics of Tony Stark. Uh, but the ethics of Captain America are the opposite. He is a yeah. guy who trusted the government for his whole life, and then Winter Soldier happens, and Hydra happens, and he realizes he never should have trusted the government, and now he believes it's safer in his own hands. Both are just the opposite side of those coins, and that's why Civil War is so interesting, because they are... And I, th- I think where Tony finally flips and becomes the, the, the villain in that movie, and now that I've had a lot of time to digest it, we were always talking about who's the villain, is there a villain, da da, da. I think Tony right. Stark is not a villain until he tries to kill Bucky for vengeance sake. Yeah. Um, like, he goes after B- Bucky not because uh, of the Sokovia Accords or protecting the world from bucky or any of that he's going after him because he killed his mom and that's like in that moment tony flips that switch and he actually becomes the villain of the piece and and, and that's they they but up until that point they very much were on the, you know just opposite sides of an issue where they both had good reasons to be on those sides yeah they were just having a disagreement for the most part you know with superpowers how do you disagree with superpowers you duke it out <laughs> in an airport right <laughs> would be super funny if Civil War had just been, like, all meetings. Right? It's just a board discussion. I, I would have loved to watch Civil War, the bureaucratic negotiations over the Sokovia Accords. Oh, yeah. I don't think that's a big-budget movie, though. That's That seems more like an off-Broadway play, perhaps. Well, no, me, me and Jeff have talked about it a hundred <laughs> times on the cast, but uh, we would love if, while they're making these big-budget movies, they would, like, they've got all these people in Atlanta... They should have a second team making a separate movie. They could totally have an Avengers where it's just the different characters interacting, and I would mm-hmm. be all in. Like, it doesn't have to be a huge budget fight em up yeah. for me to watch Tony Stark interact with, you know, Vision or whatever. Like, I would absolutely yeah. watch them have dinner. You, you know that they just have slumber parties every night. They, they should right. make dinner for Andre, but it's like dinner for Vision. <laughs> and it's just like two, two guys having a conversation. I would, I would so be there. And even there, though, this is kind of my point before, I think there's an, uh, an ethical perspective of that, which is, as much as I would have loved to see, 
you know, okay, the Sokovia Accords get presented, and now Cap says, well, those are terrible, but how about if we do it this way, and now they negotiate for a while. I, I, I do think they, they go right to the fight scene, because that's the big-budget movie, and we want to have the great fight scene. Yeah. But I also think that there's an interesting point being made there, which is, these are these are our, our people, these characters, who have learned that when there's a problem, you punch it until the problem goes away. Yeah, you um, punch Nazis. Always yeah. punch Nazis. <laughs> I always agree with that. Um, but but that's the thing, is that when Cap has learned always punch Nazis, does that now become people disagree with me, so always punch them? And same for Tony, you know, like I, I don't I don't even know if this was intentional on the pe- on the on the part of the people who wrote Civil War, but I when I watch that movie and my first thought is, why don't they just negotiate it? And my second thought is, oh of course, because they're heroes. Because they're dumb heroes. Well, not, not even dumb, but what they've learned is to fix things through violence. Well, it's the when you're, so, it's the when you're a hammer, everything becomes a nail. It's that, it's that, whole, that old adage. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Thor uses a hammer not just on nails. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole true. other discussion. <laughs> um, so let's get into S.H.I.E.L.D. Why not? Yeah. S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean, we were kind of already going toward government regulation, right? right? Like, yeah. how do you deal with Sokovia Accords properly? So, so how, how do we... How do we deal with government regulation? What, where do you fall in the Sokovia Accords, Matthew West Fox? So I'm, you know, it, it's one that um, this question, my Paul, the guy who was my first co-host uh, and still occasionally comes back, it was my debates with him about Civil War and Team Tony or Team Cap that really kind of was the impetus for, for um, you know, that and the fact that I, 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 I've been listening to you guys for a while. Um, you were, we were one of the first real podcasts on the subject that I found and um, wanted to kind of on air make sure I say that um, oh, you, you guys were fantastic for that. Um, and, 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 you know, listening to you guys and, and, and having this conversation with Paul, I was like, yeah, let, let's make this a podcast. Because um, I think at the end of the day, and, and what I love is that it keeps coming back. It, it's, it's in Civil War. It's S.H.I.E.L.D. It's Jessica Jones Season 2. It's, it's so many of these places, this basic question of regulation or not. Um, I think I wind up coming down, you know, more, a little bit more on the side of regulation. I am more Team Tony than Team Cap. But I, I think as these shows have done such a good job of pointing out, it becomes such a dangerous thing, you know, because, uh, you know, uh, not Jeff, I know I keep quoting DC, my apologies, but, you know, it's, it's that who watches it the happens. watcher question. Um, and, 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 and so I kind of look at the Sokovia Accords and I think this is a very bad version of something that has to be done. Does that make sense? Yeah, right. absolutely. It's 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 so tricky, and I, and I find myself going through the logic of it, and actually being reminded of like just straight up political discussion. Yeah, uh, with friends uh, against like uh, conservatism, liberalism, that sort of thing, and uh, like it, it, and I literally just did this in my brain. I was like, um. Man, yeah, I totally think government would have to control them in some ways. You know, we'd have to do this. But then I'm like, but government would probably muck it up pretty bad. Like, just like, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's the classic conservative liberal argument, really, is just like, uh, yeah, we all agree it's smarter if we all, as a society, can make some of these bigger decisions together. Like, that's what government right. is supposed to be. We all decide where to allocate certain resources and make certain laws and decisions together because it doesn't make sense to make them separate. <laughs> but the guys you put into into play, into office, just suck at it. Well, yeah, and just, just uh, and not just that, but, like, government and efficiency and government... Like there's a lot of there's a lot of issues with government, and that's why so many yeah. 
so much conservatism, libertarianism sort of stuff like comes out of me even a little bit where I'm like, yeah, but the government would not be able to run the Avengers well. <laughs> like Tony no, Stark no is an entrepreneur. He knows how to run the Avengers. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, and what I think it comes down to for me, and I think – and originally, I, I kind of thought S.H.I.E.L.D. was going towards this, and I think the idea was supposed to be that, especially in the movies, S.H.I.E.L.D. was kind of doing this, but then it didn't quite happen, because again, they got taken over by HYDRA, um, which, in our own world, we know nothing about governments being taken over by more negative, fascist-type elements. No, um, so that's happened. obviously purely a, 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 a hmm. fictional thing. But to me... I wonder what would happen if that did, though. <laughs> you hey, your something. podcast... You, you know, I'm pretty political. I'm trying not to get too political on your podcast, but... Uh, <laughs> Hey man, you, you're an escapist. Podcast. You're fine. Come yeah, on. we're pretty escapist. Uh, but you, you know, and, and part of it is we are pretty escapist, and we I try not to fall too far on either side because uh, yep. honestly, I don't fall too far on either side, which I don't know if I've ever really said on the podcast. Uh, but I also uh, uh, don't like to alienate any listeners. Really, like I just like yeah, I no, like everyone course. to be able to uh, listen to this show and have a good time. Um, it, I, I recently found out that but there's screw, someone screw who has published. Nazis. A, I will. I will definitely say yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, Nazi I listeners can go I, to hell. I recently um, found well. out that someone has published a book called Superhero Ethics from a very conservative standpoint. Oh, and I'm really? Like, oh. I, I, I kind of want to get that guy on the show because I like. I fundamentally disagree with him, but the fact that someone else is taking these stories and running with them to make ethical ideas, like I think that's great. Um, but but getting back to your original the, the question, I, what I, what I was going with, is I think. To me, what I would love more than anything from Sokovia and S.H.I.E.L.D. and things like this isn't necessarily control, but oversight. Um, and, and I'll take to me what is the, such an interesting moment, because it's the moment that kind of starts everything, which is when Scarlet Witch goes into the field uh, with Cap and then makes this you know, tragic mistake and a number of people die because of it. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, to kind of apply it to uh, real world, to, to me what has happened there is someone has been put into the field to do law enforcement work who maybe didn't get enough training and now an accident has happened. Yeah. And, and in our own world, what we'd want to have happen is say, okay, what kind of training did Scarlet Witch have? Was she really, was Cap right to say, I trust her out in the field because just sometimes stuff will happen? Or Particularly in an environment to- that was so densely populated with citizens. It's one exactly. thing if you're going to a remote location to fight Hydra. It's another thing if you're sending them into the middle of a city. Uh, and, you know, they don't know that Crossbones is going to be there with a bomb. But right. if they're going to have a battle, any kind of battle or operation in the middle of a city like that, you want your A-team on it. Yeah. And, and I guess that to me is where I fall, is that I don't want someone controlling the Avengers. But I want there to be some group that Cap has to go and talk to and say, okay here's why I thought Scarlet Witch was ready to go in the field. Let's talk about, was that the right decision or not? And if it wasn't, how do I better evaluate in the future? You know, it's just, it's that kind of oversight. It's the person looking over Tony Stark's shoulder to say, really, do we want to put the Mind Stone into a computer? (laughs) Like, maybe let's think about that idea. Yeah, for sure. But I guess, I guess the question then is, and I agree with you, I think that is a great framework to think about this question, at least, um, to think of them as law enforcement. And to think of them as, you know, you'd want, um, if you're participating in Avengers, especially an Avengers level team, you want some sort of vetting to make sure uh, you're not the, uh, the, the, oh gosh, what are they called? We talked about it last week, the Thunderbolts in disguise or whatever. Um, oh, yeah. You remember, well, well, who's the team? What's the evil team that it was? 
The Thunderbolts? No, the Thunderbolts were actually someone else in disguise. Uh, I'm going to no, ask Masters Google. of Evil. Masters of Evil. Thank you. There you go. Um, yeah, it, it, uh, so you want you want some sort of vetting to make sure that they, 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 they a background check, if you will. Um, <laughs> you, you want, then you want effective training and you, but you also, uh, you also want some sort of system in place to, to question them and even punish them if they, you know, if they're trained properly and they go out in the field and they do a bad thing. And, you know, we talk about it all the time with police and all the police violence <laughs> yep. these days. It, it, it's, we don't turn in your badge and your gun and your hammer and get out of my office. <laughs> Yeah, we talk about police. <laughs> we talk about police violence all the time. Uh, but you know, when a, when a, if if a police officer makes a bad call, we we should probably hold them to a standard that right. for 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 if they're going to be out in the field with a gun, they've got to be held to a standard, and they need to be trained properly for sure. But if they've been trained properly and they're not and they're reckless with that, um, that's a responsibility they've been given, and there probably should be some sort of. Uh, recourse that society has right. against those people, and this all needs to be like massively escalated because you know it's it's a matter of scale. Like a cop with a gun has nothing on Thor with a hammer, you know. Yeah, sure. So like, there's got to be there would have to be some sort of like extra regulation to go along with that. And and who who deals punishment to Thor? Like who honestly who is yeah. going to tell Thor that he did wrong and then administer some sort of punishment? <laughs> You know, the, the committee that says you can no longer lift the hammer. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I, I think that's right. I think especially because, and we were talking about this before, at the end of the day, yeah, I, we, may have, we may talk about AI in a bit, but right now, none of these people are robots. All of these people have their emotions, have their baggage, and that's always going to cloud their judgment in some way. Yeah. And to me, not, not that I ever think there is objective truth, but I do think that there's always value to, you know, the person who can say to Tony look, I know how afraid you are, but maybe you can trust your judgment a little bit. And the person who can say to Cap, I know what happened with Hydra and how terrible that was, but maybe your fear of that is coloring your judgment a little bit. And maybe, Tony, this isn't about your mother, this is about something else. You know, just that, that <laughs> I, because so often in these stories, well, you know, or, or just to take it to, to Jessica Jones, which I think is another great example of this, you know, Jessica is the one to try and evaluate whether or not her mother was um, a danger. Um, you know, how can she possibly do that fairly? This is her mother. She hasn't seen in years. Just to, to punch a hole in this idea of the oversight of these heroes, and I, fe- I fear that I'm getting back to the, the very problem with the Sokovia Accords to begin with, is all of the things we're talking about, the, the, with the exception of training, but the, the, right. the idea of second-guessing and punishing and, and things like that, it, people that, are, that go out of the field and do these bad things, um, the the one difference between a police officer or or someone in law enforcement and someone at this level is if there's a mistake, it can be on such a great level. Yeah, that it, it may be that society <clears throat> decides it's not worth waiting till after the fact, and I think it's what happened with Sokovia Accords. Like, uh, they if they had waited till after Sokovia, and and he had destroyed the Earth. It's not like you can have like a, a tribunal afterwards saying you did the wrong thing. The tribunal's all dead, uh, right? <laughs> so, so, so that's why I think the Scovey Accords, as much as I hate to say it, I see why they went as far as they did. Um, because just thinking about it logically, like you can't have these. It, it's just like uh, Ross says, you've got these nuclear bombs running around, you know, 
Uh, oh, I've, been, if, I've been sitting on that, if, on if, his phrase. Yeah, if I lost, an, uh, you got a 20-ton nuclear bomb or whatever out there um, loose in the wild, you know. Right. I mean, especially because how many of these stories are based on some kind, like we talked before, some kind of mind control or some kind of, you know, um, yeah. uh, again, bouncing it. Uh, um, you know, I think I think so often in these stories, we really have to just think about um, what what's what's the worst case scenario, but also what's what what's how, how much danger do we get into by by only thinking about that? Um yeah, because these are still people. You know, they still have that that right to their own privacy. They still have, yeah. you know, especially if they're American, their Fourth Amendment rights to to you know live their own lives, however you know secret or open they want to be about it. So, like, how far is government government monitoring able to go while still being like in the in an acceptable range, not just for the the general public but like the people who were being monitored absolutely i mean government monitoring we if we get into that like shield is all <laughs> that shield yeah. knows all i mean <laughs> shield is that dark knight device times seven you know uh <laughs> over the whole world I, I mean i know this is not quite official mcu yet but we're all sort of fingers crossed hoping it is but as as uh i talked about uh, a long time ago in one of the earliest episodes of of superhero ethics podcast i've always thought one of the scariest people in the whole marvel universe uh is professor x with cerebro absolutely that mind reading power i mean first of all it's just it is terrifying and just i mean he's always doing it for what he thinks is the right thing but he always comes across, uh, you know, and, and there, I can police what Captain America and Scarlet Witch does. How in the world does Sokovia know what Professor X is or isn't doing with mind control? Like, that's, to me, that's a whole other level of, of but he's also so often saving the world doing it, you know? And so how do you balance those things? Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's really tricky uh, when you try to introduce real world sort of logic and especially government I mean, honestly, politics and government is always tricky, and it's always yeah. tricky to know exactly what the right thing is. And, I, and that's why I'm, I'm a lot more middle of the road than most. Uh, it's harder to be in these, these current days, but, uh, uh-huh. but, but just like the actual policies that they institute, like it's, it's, very, it's very rare that one side is completely right and completely wrong on an issue. It's often, it's often shades of gray, and when you try to introduce these into these fantastical worlds where everything is pushed to its ultimate limit, uh, right. and, 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 the, and the stakes are so high, I don't know, man. It's really hard to say, hey, Superman, you're not allowed to say, go save that person. <laughs> well, but, but I think that, that that pushing the stakes high... To me, it, it, it's, you know, it's sort of the idea of taking an argument to its absurd end. Sure. Like, and that's kind of what superhero stories do, in the same way that good science fiction does this. Um, I, I, I would watch Star Trek with my mother all the time because she loved that it would take issues from our own world and, and put them into a different realm. But, but the idea to make us kind of then go back and think about it in our own world. And I think, in, to me, in these kind of stories we're talking about, you're right. At some point, like trying to decide what constitutional rights apply to Superman or to Captain America or to Thor. I mean, is Thor a citizen? He's not even an Earthling. Like, how does that fit? <laughs> not a citizen. But, He's an illegal alien. Yeah, you go tell him that. I want to see Ice go after Thor. <laughs> um, but, but, but to me, the, the flip side of that is the way that we can look at those stories, though, and see, oh, here is something that does reflect in our own world. Because, um, and we kind of touched on this before, but I wanted to mention it now, to me, one of the most brilliant things about all of these uh, issues we're talking about 
is how much at the end they're driven by people being afraid. You know, whether it's humans being afraid of superheroes and thus wanting to limit them too much, or Captain America being afraid of Hydra again, or Tony being afraid of um, um, where that can go, or all of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, kind of is... If S.H.I.E.L.D. in its best way should be driven by a desire to protect and a desire to, to, to help, but a lot of times it seems S.H.I.E.L.D. is really first and foremost driven by fear. Um, for sure. And and that's a lesson that I think has so much meaning for our, our politics, whatever direction you're taking it from. Um, yeah. Just the danger of when you're driven by fear as your main motivation, it gets really hard to see things clearly. Yeah, I'm immediately reminded of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the first Thor movie whenever uh, Thor finally gets his hammer back and yeah. Coulson's like, you've been lying to me. And it's like, who cares, man? Like, what <laughs> do you matter to Thor? Like, honestly, right. and he's, he flies away. He's wait, I haven't gotten a chance to debrief you. Like, <laughs> again, who cares? Nobody but you. You're the only person that cares about you wanting to debrief a god. And right. then, like, the way that they handle the destroyer armor showing up, where they're like, uh, excuse me, unregistered thing. Um, what? (laughs) And then it just starts wrecking them. Like, maybe... I mean, it wouldn't have mattered if they had started shooting, like, right off the the bat, because, you know, it's the Destroyer. But, like, I don't know, I guess I kind of like the way that Coulson handles his stuff. Like, Coulson handling uh, his his ethical take on everything, and um, how everybody needs to kind of be at least checked in, you know? Yeah. I feel like Colson wants to just check people in, not so much for monitoring, but just to like, be like, okay, well that's a thing now. Like, let's add that to the inventory. Well, I, I think in ethical discussions, uh, a lot of the things that like ethicists, you know, I, I haven't studied this in 20 years, but the, the, the that <laughs> in that school of thought, one of the things that people really get concerned about is the idea that when a situation that you've never imagined comes up, all the rules get thrown out the window and you just do whatever feels right. Because the, the point of ethics should be that they can be applied to almost any situation. And what you're talking about there is Colson in some way doing exactly that. He's saying, look, we have rules, we have registrations, we have bureaucracy. And our bureaucracy wasn't written to encompass a god from from another <laughs> world, but we're still going to register him, gosh darn it. you know. Right. And, like, <laughs> and it's the right thing to do, honestly. That, that The destroyer walking up and him going out and saying, I'm sorry, you're breaking laws. Like That's actually the right thing to do. It's in seems silly, but shooting first is like, is, it's like Matthew said, that's a fear response. And at that, if you've got that sort of control and you've got that sort of license to wield weapons and, and, and to, to have control over the citizenry, you have to take the risk of making that first contact communication, you know? Right. Um, yeah. You, you can't, you can't come out guns blazing. Even if it's the destroyer armor, that could just be the way that alien looks, you know, you just don't know. Uh, yeah. and then, then it, it, then it proves itself, uh, to be, uh, you know, a dangerous thing and you got to stop it. But, um, I actually think uh, all this talk about the Asgardians has me thinking how wonderful and and fraught it would be to have have had the Asgardians reach Earth and try to get oh. and try to get um so I, not citizenship but uh gosh my brain refuge sanctuary, like refugee sanctuary status? yeah all that stuff refuge refugee status exactly because of the ethical questions going on in our old world right now. I would have loved yeah. to see Marvel hit, take that head on. Uh, and they, they had that set up so perfectly with Ragnarok and then, uh, with, and then they just blew it up. <laughs> yeah. They very, very <laughs> much really blew up that whole idea 
in, yeah. in, in, in Infinity War. And now I don't I don't know if that's still going to be a thing in in uh, Thor four if, if if that's even a thing. Um, but if they're still four, <laughs> just call it Thor. Thor. No, just call it four. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I'm almost sad that that was never that didn't happen. They, they didn't they didn't go through with that sort of a refugee storyline, and they may still, but. Uh, yeah, man, Siege would be amazing to see on screen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely want... The, the, the list of ethical issues that, that I, I sort of feel like they dropped and could have gone into is a very, very long one. Um, yeah, and but, some of them they do very deliberately to avoid the political... To stay out of the political argument, yeah. which I don't know. I kind of like and I kind of don't. I don't, I don't ever mind an artist stay, staying what they believe. Mm-hmm. What I don't like is anyone who is an expert in one thing pretending they're an expert in another. Yeah. And that just goes for everything. And Ooh. so I kind of hate when my uh when my when when a, when, a, when a person who's a great at directing films and is amazing at that uh, <laughs> uses I that. wonder where this is going. <laughs> Well, well, no, no, I, I, I wasn't even heading there because I'm actually making kind of the opposite point. Uh, mm. He doesn't use his directing of films to necessarily beat me in the head with his anti-Trumpism. Maybe he would. And we're, uh, sorry, I should just say we're talking we're, now. We're talking about James Gunn, uh, and right. he can say that all he wants <laughs> on his Twitter. But I kind of lose interest in art that. Uh, I don't like when people pretend to be experts in one thing when they're 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 great at doing one. They're great at doing a certain thing in art, but like I right. hate when musicians come out with like so super uninformed opinions and stuff that just like they're they're saying what's kind of popular to say instead of instead of thinking about the nuance of the of the issue and it just kind of it adds to the polarization more than it actually like tries to find the common grounds. Like I I think that a lot of the solutions for political stuff is actual conversations and finding the things that we all agree on fixing and fixing them. Like there's certain issues that we all disagree on and like we can, we don't have to polarize every issue. There's some issues where you just look at research and data and like solve it, you know? Um, And, and there's so much government these days that just is broken because we're so polarized. And so, uh, uh, I don't even remember where I, where I started this, but I just don't, I don't like, I, I, I kind of, I I would hate to see uh, these Marvel movies turn into some sort of mouthpiece for either sure. side, and and I know there's there there are apparently people of both sides involved in these movies. Like the a lot of the creatives are more on the liberal side. It sounds like some of the uh, uh, upper upper management is on the conservative right. side, and so I don't really want to see either side get their mouthpiece. Uh, turn my Marvel movies into that. So I don't know. Well, but so so let me put this question to you, and I think I I I, I think you wouldn't draw the line, but I'm curious where you draw the line. Because I, I hear what you're saying. I think that there's something... There's, I've sometimes seen movies where I feel like the movie or the TV show kind of hits pause on the story and has the person make a point. And I, right. I, I, I don't love things like that. But, you know, I know you loved Black Panther, which was an incredible story, and also clearly a very powerful... Had a lot to say about race relations and, and things like that. Luke Cage in the same way. Absolutely. Jessica Jones. You know, Jessica Jones clearly had some very important things it wanted to say about sexual violence and, and things like that. Um, but I, I, my impression is for you, those aren't on that... Uh, those aren't crossing the line that you're talking about. So uh, what, do you, what do you think the difference is? Like, what, what is it about those things 
where clearly the director has a point of view and is expressing it, but but it, it doesn't feel like it's a problem. Um, sometimes I do have a problem with it. Let me hmm. say that first off. Uh, I'm not saying that I do in any of those specific cases, but uh, like like I guess I have a problem. I don't have a problem with it when it is something that is like the stuff about sexual violence in Jessica Jones. Yep. I there is no right-minded like like you, you, that's not a political issue in my mind i i know that there are those who like to make it one on both right. sides but that's not a political issue to me but it shouldn't be at least when you turn like i'm trying to think of an example um and and most of these shows are made by people on the more left hand left wing side of things um mm-hmm. and so one thing that always bothers me in these shows uh, I grew up much more conservative than I am now. Um, right. So I actually have a pretty nuanced view of conservative people, very, very conservative people uh, in my life. And those people aren't mm-hmm. all crazy hate mongers. Some of them are. Some of them, are, some of them aren't. You know, like, they're not right. all that way. And I kind of hate how when... Uh, shows like that will take a break, and they don't take a break from the story. They just have all the people who seem like they line with that side turn out to be sort of evil. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they just like have all the all that side of things. And actually, uh, weirdly, Punisher is the only one that did the opposite of all of that, which I almost made me think. I wonder who's making this because they had one I- liberal senator, and he turned out to be like the super scummy guy. Um, yeah, I, I, I punish, Punisher is often an example, and, and granted, I, I, I need to acknowledge my own bias because I am fairly pro-gun control myself, but, but I did sort of feel like that, 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 that there they so clearly made the people arguing for any kind of gun control such idiots and such cowards. Um, they that, did, that I, they did, I, and yeah. I totally agree, and I think I don't like that either because they're, they, you, I don't think making straw men out of either side is the answer Right to making these to making like real solutions happen. Uh, liberals build up the conservative side to be a straw man, and they're just seeing this like they're 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 like bashing this view of what they think they're talking about, and the right. conservatives are bashing their view of what they think the liberals are, and they're just not talking to each other. They're talking about a fictional version of what is there. So I think that's what happens on a lot of these shows is they mm-hmm. will build up straw men to just easily be defeated and make a point that isn't a real point. And that's the, that's, that's some of the stuff that I do have a problem with. And I think they did that. I think they did that in Punisher in the opposite direction, which is, which is incredibly yeah. rare. Um, most, most well, Hollywood shows. With Gary Shandling. With, no, just, Gary Shandling was, uh, was a conservative guy in the thing, right? I don't know if they actually said, but that's what it seemed like. At least I'm, I'm maybe, yeah. well, he was very much like pro gun control and, and pro uh, registration of the Iron Man weapon is what he kept calling it. So like right. he was, he seemed like he was pretty, uh, pretty straight up and down um, liberal, you know, interesting with uh, government regulation. So I, I think Matt, you're making some really interesting points. Some I would agree with some I would push back on a little bit. Um, but I think the fundamental is that I, I would agree with you that there isn't enough listening on either side. I, 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 I am a liberal, and I do think that that um, I do think it's not quite equivalent. Um, but I, but I think where I, I would agree with you that the problem becomes when shows seem to just want to be a mouthpiece instead of what I think is most needed. And and from what like I love what you're saying about how one of the problems is that people aren't listening to each other enough. 
And to me, where yeah. I think these shows get the most interesting is when they're saying, okay, you're not going to listen to – if Mr. Conservative, you're not going to listen to a feminist talk to you about sexual violence and – because I disagree with you. I think it is always a kind of a political issue. But, but that what Je- a show like Jessica Jones can say is, all right, if you don't want to listen to a political speech about it, let me give you a show that talks about it. Yeah, let me yeah. show you what happened. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And that's why I completely with you. And then this is where, where it falls for me. And it may just be, and this may be just be my bias, is where right. what I think is a political issue and what I think is just settled evil. I used to think Nazis were settled morality, but clearly uh, that they, not even, even that's a political issue in our world today. Right, right. But, but I will say, and, and here's something again that, that I think is so good about these stories and is something I think Marvel especially does so well that Matt, I think, kind of speaks to what you're talking about is, because I do agree that, that I think it's very easy to create a straw man on the other side and to tell yourself, you know, I believe that this will help this group of people. And so if you don't believe in my solution, you must hate those group of people. Um, and, and I think what we basically wind up doing in, in politics a lot is creating mustache twirlers, is saying the people For who, sure. you know, disagree with me and, and – you know, in this day and age, I think, as I would see it, there are some legitimate mustache twirlers happening. But then when I ask myself, why are people supporting some of our politicians? I have to remember, for a lot of them, they probably think they're doing the right thing. You yeah. know, they probably think sure. it is going to help everyone. And and that's what I love about Marvel, because I think every time you give someone a villain like Kingpin, like um, uh, Killmonger, like any of these villains who you kind of think might have a point. You yeah. kind of think might have yeah. a good perspective. It makes you ask yourself, okay, if, if, if that person can, uh, you know, if, if, if um, you know, Kingpin can really believe he's doing the right thing, maybe I can think a little, may, may, maybe I can remember that really the mustache twirlers are a pretty rare thing in our own world, just like they should be a rare thing in our comic book world. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm totally that's, with you. Totally with you there. That's one of the things that I uh, I keep going back to in my head is that, um, like, what do you do with yourself in a situation like Black Panther when the antagonist wins the moral argument? Like, yeah. what happens? What do you do with your soul at that point? Because they've convinced you, like, yes, oh my God, so this this needs to happen. The the antagonist. He has convinced me, but like maybe he's going a little too far. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Black what Panther. Do do? <laughs> Black Panther to me is such a great example of what that should be because you know at the end of the movie, Killmonger is stopped, but the movie ends with T'Challa and and everyone else saying, "But he was right, so let's make the changes he was pushing for." You right. know, not quite as radical as he wanted, but they do start. They do end the isolation. They do start making those changes. That's one of the things that's beautiful about that movie is he does listen to his enemy and learn from him, um, yeah. which I, th- I think is exactly what I'm getting at. And I think that's the thing is like that, that, that those movies make major points, but they don't make points that, uh, it, it, that alienate anyone except for on the extreme fringes. Um, and, and I would, I would argue a lot of the stuff uh, we're talking about, uh, the, the, a lot of the stuff that people build up as straw men that I'm talking about, there are people like that that that, that, mm-hmm. that are real, but they are the extreme fringe of 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 both sides. And there's all this room in the middle where we could all come together, but instead we like to demonize, and really we're just playing the game of the people in power who are trying to stay in power. You know, like mm-hmm. we're not we're we're not. Um, 
we're not listening to each other's good ideas. We're only seeing the distant bad ideas on either side, you know. Um, right. And, and that's 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 kind of what what I, where, what I get. At. But anyway, the whole original thing of this is that's the kind of stuff that does actually bother me in all of these movies, and and it goes for things that uh, like in Punisher that sort of lean conservative or lean liberal, and and pretty much everything else. Um, they they almost always make like a. You know, if if it's a conservative, whatever he ends up being, you know, this bad thing, or this liberal right. guy ends up being this bad way, like just it uh that those kind of straw man arguments where literally you're creating a fictional person to kind of demonize, and you just have to give him traits of the people that you disagree with, <laughs> like yeah, it's uh, basically just a caricature of what you don't like. Yeah, it's it's, well, because it's not real. The way you reach someone is by making them see themselves in the problem you're setting up, you know? And like, if, if you, if you say, let's tell a story about racism and the racist is so clearly a caricature of everything that's bad about racism, no one's going to watch that and think to themselves, Oh, I, everyone's going to watch that and think I'm not that bad. So I'm fine. Exactly. Like what (laughs) I think something like Luke Cage does so well is Luke Cage presents people who are, you know, it talks about much more subtle racism. And like, I'll admit I would probably be afraid of someone like Luke Cage if I saw them. I'd probably be more afraid of Luke Cage than I would Matt Murdock. That's probably because some of my own internalized racism. I think that might just be a size issue. I don't well, know. Yes, that's, that's, also, big, dude. that's also the case. But, but um, you know, I, I love the actor who plays Matt Murdock. He's not Mike Coulter. Um, no, but, no, no. He's um, Mike but, but I do think, the, but, but that's what I mean is that the ability of a show like that to make someone go, oh, I, I see where this person's going wrong, and I could kind of go wrong like that too. That's something I need to think about. That's much more powerful than creating a character who's just, you know, I am I'm thrown around the N word all the time because I'm I'm racist McRacism. Um, right. And again, like you said, people like that exist, but but I don't think the point of a show is to is to make those kind of a points. But but it can do that, and that's great. And you do that by by giving people characters they can relate to, not by giving yeah. them straw men. And I, I do, yeah, exactly. And I guess that's that's really what I'm getting at. I do, I don't want to hear your, and, and honestly, it's kind of, it's what I said from the beginning. I don't like when people act like they're experts on things they're not experts on. If someone does the work of really trying to understand the other side of what they're doing, and they build a character that's based in reality, then they are right. becoming an expert in what they're trying to write about and they're they're really trying to take a look at that person and say what are the things that they actually care and believe about and how can i write a story that is actually making a point and and showing the dynamic between these two human beings uh when they act like uh you know when when they build the straw men that that's that's where my that's where my uh get my what what gets my hackles up about either side uh but I don't at all mind things about social issues or like, you know, racism, obviously. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think you could tell a story that's not about social issues because you have people doing things. And like, you know, it, it's it, there's the social issues are always a part of it. And, and I've certainly been always a yeah. part of these these stories. You know, I mean, Marvel, any, any, any you story know. with more than one person, <laughs> yeah. like, is going to have social <laughs> issues. Like, that's the point. Uh, you know, maybe Castaway. 
Uh, yeah. but like, uh, you know, like that's, that's, that's the rare. Hey, what about the ethical rights of volleyballs? Come on, man. <laughs> well, that brings us to AI. Let's talk about, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the artificial intelligence of Wilson. <laughs> uh-huh. See, um, I was, I was just going to bring up that, uh, you know, going back to the, the talk of shield, um, the subtlety within shield that was most perfectly shown, uh, by, Mr. Robert Redford uh, in Alexander Pierce, like he's kind of the epitome of everything that is wrong with Hydra, but he's also kind of sort of got some points to be made that, yeah. you know, society needs to be monitored. Maybe not with like three massive helicarrier gunships that are set to destroy everything in several mile radius, but like maybe some monitoring needs to happen. Cer- certainly what he's afraid, you know, we were talking before about fear. I understand why he's afraid. You know, I understand what he's afraid of, and I get that. And I think that there's some, there's some pull towards that. And, and, and to me, that helps because, it, 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 you know, when I look at the people who really disagree with me on political issues today, I, I can tell myself these people are just evil, awful people. Or I can remind myself they're probably driven by fear more than anything else. And so, yeah, seeing someone like the Robert Redford character, to me, um, especially with S.H.I.E.L.D., I mean, look at uh, if we can now kind of move more to the television side. Man, all this ethics discussion is really making me hungry. I feel you, man. Me too. Where do we go when we need food conveniently? Simple Simple and convenient? We don't go anywhere. That's right. We get it delivered to us by HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can cook, eat, and enjoy. You don't have to go to the grocery store. You don't have to measure anything. You just pour the ingredients or saute the ingredients or cut the ingredients. It's all there. You don't waste anything. It's just right there. The perfect amount. It's pretty amazing. Uh, For a moment, it sounded like you were saying, you just open the bag and pour it all in the pot, and then it comes out as a beautiful meal. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Perfectly. Like this isn't Legend of Zelda. It per- it's perfectly plated. No, uh, it, you, it, but that's the thing. It practically does. You don't have to have really cooking skill to do this. There's really basic skills, and if you do a few of them, you learn things. My girlfriend was so excited because uh, I always... Uh, she does most of the cooking truth truth be told uh not because of any toxic gender roles here uh just she's better at it um and so she does most (laughs) cooking and i do most of eating out uh and uh and she 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 was so impressed that i made her three meals uh three meals it was pretty it's pretty great each box is made up of fresh responsibly obtained ingredients from carefully selected farms and high rated trusted sources uh, they have really cool global eats options that bring authentic international dishes and flavors to home cooks for exciting new meals. And I love that. Um, both me and Alyssa love uh, eating lots of international things and trying new things. It's cool to be able to make that stuff in the house. And to be honest, I don't even know where to get those ingredients. So <laughs> this is this is I know where to get all of those ingredients. <laughs> I just don't live there anymore. Right. Well, I know where to get all those ingredients now it's called hello fresh it's in the it's in the brown paper sack that's sitting in your refrigerator and that's right you know i'm kind of jealous honestly of uh, of the the like the single person's option because like the family thing that that we signed up for because you know we've been doing this for like a month now and it was like no this is the perfect thing to work into the grocery budget like this is what this is half of our groceries right here need it 
And on the family plan, there's six recipes every every week. And they're all kid tested and kid approved. And I'm like, but I, I'm not a kid. Yeah, you I want to try the tagine. <laughs> you got to give me the chicken tenders. Like they're amazing. Like they're the, they're the best Parmesan crusted chicken tenders I've ever made. But like, but you want to be adventurous. I want a tagine. And right? they got all these options, these global eats options. Uh, you get all these options, but yeah, with, with the kiddos, you, you the, but they, that's the thing. It, 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 it can fit into whatever the style family that you have. Um, exactly. and as, as a single person, I like to actually go ahead and order the family option and then i cook it once and have gr- amazing leftovers the next day <laughs> yeah yeah it's really great i'm um, thinking about getting two per week oh yeah absolutely um yeah Might i got three and they were pretty great um delicious filling meals delivered right to your door every week for less than ten dollars per servings and free shipping so it's it costs less than eating out but it tastes uh, tastes so good, and you can be proud of your handiwork. You ever get that feeling? Uh, I, I guess I'm speaking of the males here, because again, toxic gender roles. Um, but uh, but 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 you ever get that feeling like when you look at the grass is freshly cut, and you and have like, that like uh, that sort of yeah. manly feeling. You kind of hated cutting the grass, but then you look at it and you're like, oh, that's great. Look what uh, I've done. I love the feeling of like a plated up meal and delivering it to my lady. And being like, look, look at this w- well-presented dish that I did. Uh, it's really cool. Um, <laughs> Gaze all- upon my good work. <laughs> all ingredients come pre-measured in handy labeled meal kits, so you know which ingredients go with which recipes. It's super easy. Uh, yeah, you guys should absolutely do this. We, we've both had really great experiences with HelloFresh, and we recommend you do the same. Uh, for a total of $60 off, this is being offered to MCUcast listeners. Uh, that's $20 off your first three boxes. Visit HelloFresh.com slash MCUcast60 and enter the promo code MCUcast60. Um, it really helps the podcast out if you let them know that we sent you, um, because, you know, you got to eat. You might as well order it and support your favorite podcast. And honestly, this this deal is killer for getting your first three boxes for that amount off. I I went ahead with it, and for that amount off the first three, I was like, oh yeah, this is no brainer. And then even after the the code is has run its course, it's still worth it. Yeah, totally, man. Um, well, guys, we were, we're going to get back to some ethics talk with uh, Matthew Westfox from the Superhero Ethics Podcast. Uh, but uh, you guys, please go check out um, HelloFresh.com slash MCUcast60 and our promo code MCUcast60. If we can now kind of move more to the television side, um, look at a character like Grant Ward. You know, Grant Ward is probably the most evil character, certainly one of the most uh, we have for the first couple seasons of S.H.I.E.L.D., if not for all of S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean, what he does to Fitz is just awful in so many ways. And yet Ward is doing it more than anything because he is, you know, this sad, abused kid who never really had someone who, who was there for him. And then this guy is there for him and tells him all about Hydra. And so Ward buys into it, hook, line, and sinker. Um, the, the ability to humanize anyone, even a character like Grant Ward, um, it, it just goes so far to me to remember that everyone is almost always a hero in their own story. Um, you know, everyone <laughs> out there, uh, you know, All thinks... Right, Captain Hammer. Yeah, oh, God, I got it. I didn't even realize I was quoting that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, I mean, I, I, you know, 
we uh, in theory we were talking about shield but we've talked about so much which is awesome yeah we've got great covered topics a, covered a lot of ground but like look at the the main vil- the the final big bad of the last season of shield talbot talbot i i i think he is 100 percent believing that you know he is feeling guilty about all the things he did when hydra was controlling him he feels ashamed for what his son saw he wants to do the right thing he wants to save the world and he fundamentally believes that the gravit the gravitonium will allow him to do that and then he thinks these people are getting in the way of him saving the world and that's to me what makes him such a wonderful character such a as you guys said almost a tragic shakespearean figure is as awful as he is as as much harm as he's doing he 100% believes he is doing the right thing yeah he's almost on the level of thanos of like you know if i can just do the thing that I feel that needs to be done. Everyone, when they see what good I have done with this thing, like once they see, they'll be grateful. Then they'll right. understand. I can finally rest and watch the sunrise on a grateful universe. Mm-hmm. He, he, he thinks all he has to do is communi- fi- finally communicate his vision, you know? <laughs> right. And, oh. and, and that's, that's, that's Thanos, that's Kingpin, but it's also Tony Stark creating Ultron, you know? And so yeah, that's that's yeah. like... Is there a clear line between hero and villain there? It's it's pretty murky. I mean, I'm pretty sure we've said before that Tony Stark is the biggest villain of the MCU. <laughs> I would fundamentally agree with that. <laughs> well, you know, and you know what? I think something that, and this may be my own self-analyzing uh, that brings this out of me, but I think one thing that separates a hero from a villain is actually the ability to look at yourself and analyze which one you're being. Yeah. Um, and I don't think Kingpin has had that in a long time. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things that does separate Kingpin from a Tony Stark. You know, Tony Stark is constantly questioning himself. He didn't at first. And that's the thing that's so amazing. That first Iron Man movie, he did not question himself one bit. And we loved that bravado. Nope. And then every, <laughs> subsequent film he has changed the the kind of man he is has changed so much and he has be and and since uh really since the battle of new york he has been a uh, a different man and then sokovia right. another completely different man and it's just like i but i think that being able to question himself and being able to learn learn that he is that he can be bad like learning that he yeah. can be wrong like that's something valuable in a person um, that I think Kingpin doesn't have. You know, we talked about uh, government regulation or, or some sort of oversight being like the main thing that's that's needed for a superhero team. Uh, and I think what you're touching on, Matt, is that uh, what's needed to be a hero is self-regulation and, yeah. and self-assessment constantly. And when you don't do that and you just assume that everything that you do is right because you say so, then that's when you become the villain. And I think it's it's self-regulation, but it's also being able to listen to others. Yeah, that's you know? what I was going to say. Because that's, to me, like, when things are good, Tony and Cap should both realize that sometimes they're being a jackass and they need to listen to the other one. Yeah. Whereas, and, and that that's where someone like Kingpin just kills everybody who disagrees with him. Yeah. And that's right. where, um, and like, to take it, take it back to, 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 to S.H.I.E.L.D., um, I, I was rewatching again, like I said, that, that last episode of the last season. And to me, one of the most heroic moments is when Daisy acknowledges that she's too comp- morally compromised to be the leader of the team and that Max should do it instead. Because that's exactly what you're talking about, Matt. 
Daisy realizes in that moment, she doesn't have enough emotional separation to make the leadership decision she has to. Yeah, she has to, she has to question herself. And I totally agree with also having people in your life that are close enough to you to question you and, and you having trust in people that you're able to listen to people when they say you're wrong. Like the, yeah. the, these are things that I think are uh, invaluable. And like a lot of these issues that are not black and white, they're gray mm-hmm. and they're very particular to the moment and the decision that has to be made in that particular circumstance. Like a lot of times it is, you have to, you have to, Batman should be relying on Alfred to, to let him know when it's time to kill the Joker, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> like he, you gotta, you gotta rely on the people around you and you also have to be self-reflective um, to maybe realize you've been throwing the same guy in Arkham so long. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe Alfred should recommend the security uh, be added to the Arkham prison. <laughs> like, and, you know, I hadn't thought about this till this moment, but I, I, I have commented, I think I've written into you guys a few times, that sometimes after the team-up, I get a little frustrated when we go back to the individual movies or TV shows. You know, like, where, where, where's the rest of the Defenders and Jessica Jones or Luke Cage season two? And, you know, where's, where's some of the other heroes during some of the, um, the individual movies post-Avengers? Uh, and I think part of it is because I'm watching the character do something stupid and thinking... You know, if their teammate was there, they'd be the one to be able to say, hey, what are you doing here? Right. Um, you know, and I, we got a little bit of that in, um, again, uh, forgive me, spoilers for the most recent season of Luke Cage. But when Danny shows up and is able to kind of like be a different perspective for, oh, for Luke. Yes. Like, yes, yes, I, yes. I can't believe I'm saying something good about Danny Rand. Um, <laughs> but in that instance, it was fantastic because it's that Luke Cage showed that he's a hero because Matt, he, he's, he's willing to do what you're talking about. He's. He's listening to himself, and he's listening to, to Danny, and he's listening to Misty, and he's listening to Claire. Or no, he's not listening to Claire, but uh, to everyone else. <laughs> Tell Claire to go home. Yeah. <laughs> should we have, uh, Matt, should we have Mr. Westfox back uh, for a different discussion on, like, what MCU main characters are actually heroes and what qualifies them for it? <laughs> well, I think, like, just the conversation we're having now, and, and yes, for sure, uh, but we should, like, we should come up with a framework. Like, what makes a hero... In, Don't say framework. In, uh, <laughs> what what makes a hero? Like what really makes a hero? And I think we we've definitely touched on some of the things that make a hero. Um, and I think like it, it's a multifaceted thing. It's your motivations, which is where yeah. we come down with that Punisher, Punisher, and <laughs> Punisher and 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 uh, Fisk have that issue of motivation where. Fisk being the villain actually has a better motivation, but pretty much everything else when it comes to Fisk is worse. So like you right. can't just have motivation be the thing, um, but you can't just have uh, the, them allowing people around them. Like th- there's all these different things, self-reflection uh, uh, and also the means at which they go about it, allowing other people agency, uh, which is something we haven't even got into, but I know you guys got into a lot on, get into a lot on your cast. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've talked about, uh, yeah, like, uh, let, let's, let's, uh, I feel like we, we, we're almost, we're over an hour now, and I feel like we do need to get to a few of these specific moments in Agents yep. of S.H.I.E.L.D. while they're still relevant, because next season they won't be. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, you're, you were talking specifically about giving characters agency. Yes. And the major thing that I can think of with that is when Fitz as kind of like a partial doctor, partially just himself ripped the regulator out of Daisy's neck 
and like yeah. risked paralyzing her and like had these crazy amount of disgusting fiber optic cables coming out of her neck like really good costuming budget on that one by the way but like him tearing that out of her and forcing her to get her powers back and you know just saying like she's the one that has to save us like why won't she do it we need to force it on her like that you just completely removed her her self basically Right. right. And, and and then that that is absolutely see it's and that comes down to like ethics. Uh, the ethics of that are complicated because it's straight up sh- he did a wrong thing. That is a wrong thing. The means at which he accomplished the thing are wrong. But but she needed Daisy, those powers. Daisy saves the world with Daisy those powers. Saves yeah. the world. Like that's what makes it a complicated issue uh in that particular storyline. And I think this gets to that that moment with Daisy is so good, and it gets to a question that has been part of Iron Man, it's been part of Luke Cage, it's been part of Jessica Jones, which is, if you have these powers, can you choose not to be a hero? You know, do you get to say, I don't want to use these powers, let someone else do it? No. Because um, if you can do the great things, and bad stuff happens, they happen because of you. Peter said it himself. Well, see, and I think that's the thing is, can you? Yes. Should you? Is another question. Um, can you? It's not really anyone else's. It's not really anyone else's place to force you into her- heroism, uh, especially when it requires self-sacrifice, like it always does. Yeah. But it, it's still wrong of you to stand by. Uh, while while bad things are happening to other people, if you have the power to stop it, so, uh, and I think that's that's what that's what that's what these sh- that's what that's why we have these stories in the end, like that those very specific. That's a very specific thing we're supposed to learn: the morality of uh, you see someone in harm's way, you need to step in and and do the right thing if you have the power to save them. You know, right. Yeah, and I think because it, yeah, it, it's that, that that Spider-Man question, which I, I don't even know. Is that something that goes originally to way back in the, the original Spider-Man comics? This idea I, I, of with great power comes great responsibility. Yes, uh, the the original. I don't know when it actually came in, but it was definitely early on. It's his first origin story, right? Yeah, that was <laughs> Uncle Ben told him that. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, think I, it, I, I think it's in the original origin story. I don't know if I don't know if that origin story is in the first book or not. I don't know when they actually told that origin, but yeah. Well, because the point being, I, I've always sort of had trouble with that a little bit because I, I hear where you guys are coming from, and I think probably that's true. But I also think that the degree to which these characters wind up having to sacrifice so much of themselves, um, you know, and I look at someone like Daisy who has paid such a cost for the superpower she has and is also so afraid of the harm she's going to do um, that I... I yeah, I mean, what Fitz does, it is such a great moral moment because, like, I deeply wish that he had, that the characters had just been able to convince Daisy to choose to have her powers back. But at the end of the day, that's probably not as interesting a story. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like, <laughs> we wouldn't be having this conversation if they had a discussion about it. Why it's so morally ambiguous. And, and, and I mean, I'm not even saying that moment is morally ambiguous. That moment, he is doing a wrong thing. But the ends do the ends justify the means, and that is that is a question that is in, throughout almost everything we've talked about. Obviously, Punisher, obviously Fisk, 
all the stuff, right. you know, all, all all the government monitoring, government regulations. Do the ends justify the means? Like if you're if you're controlling people's lives that don't want your control, if you're monitoring people's lives, it's like where is the line between justifying the means? And the problem is. In our lives, in, 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 our, in our real world lives, that line is a lot closer to us mm-hmm. uh, because these stories are by necessity blown out to their logical conclusions, as we've discussed. Um, a lot of times the ends justify any ends or just any means are justified. Um, right. And I think that's a little bit of a dangerous way of telling these stories because so many means are justified because the ends are always world ending. Um, yeah. <laughs> and in, in reality, most of the time, what the doctor did was just, or what Fitz did as the doctor, would just straight up be wrong in our world. Even if there, there's some, some, you know, some small benefit, we're very rarely dealing with world-ending cataclysmic events in this, in this <laughs> right. world. Um, <laughs> I ripped this thing out of her neck, and it did good things, see? Like, look, what if, the, what if the world comes, or, like, what if somebody comes to tear down the world? Then she can be there for us. Like, but it's not, man. Like, we're at lunch. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think you're right, because I think that's, it, it shows the problem, but it also highlights a good question, which is, if, if what you say is, it's wrong to do, it's wrong to do what Fitz did if it only saves one life, but it's okay to do it if it saves every life throughout the entire universe, now you have to say, okay, so is it okay if it's a million lives, but not a thousand? Is it okay? You what's know, the, what's and, the tipping point for trading lives? Sure. Right. Well, and, and to me, that's to me, that's I, I I would say you have to reject that entire line of thinking of making it a numbers game. You know, instead, it has to be about what what is it that you think is the right thing in this situation? You know, and what is it? Um, you know, does does Daisy have this responsibility, and if so, does she have to get pushed towards that? Um, I, I think I think I think with you I'm I'm still on that side of um, I I don't think I don't think even if it's world ending that that's what Fitz should be doing because I want to think that there's a possibility that she can be convinced and it's it's that the taking away the agency takes away that possibility yeah. but like on the flip side I think I remember I, I wrote into you guys and I think we talked you guys talked about it on Infinity War there were to, what you know when there are times where. Um, Oh God, I'm not blanking on their names, but um, the Gamora and Nebula, where yeah. Gamora watches Nebula being tortured, and this is her sister, and she's just reconciled with her, and 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 her sister's going to die unless she gives Thanos what he wants. I think you have to let you have to let the sister die there, and that's an awful thing to suggest. Well, and the, and the harder totally... thing is, I don't know if she was going to die. I think he was just going to keep torturing her. Right. I don't think he threatened to kill her, did he? I, I don't remember for sure. Yeah. But letting her die would have been one thing. She probably would have let her die, but having her sister tortured in front of her, it's like, and then it's just, there's, that's a whole other question that's asked by a lot of thing, a lot of these, these medias. Like, if, if the right thing to do is to let someone die, or even in that even horrible, more horrible scenario, just be tortured forever to save half the universe, that's probably the right call. But our, <laughs> I like how you say it like a question. Well, I mean, yeah. it's a really hard. Like, it, I, watching someone be tortured and, and knowing it's going to go on forever if you don't stop it, it, it that is that is not something most people could deal with. And it's like, do you even have the fortitude to make the decisions that are right? You know, like 
in those situations. Well, and that's what a lot of Infinity War is about. A lot of Infinity War is people making sort of bad decisions because because they don't want to trade lives or they don't yeah. want to make a hard decision that in the end is what they should have done because they could have saved the universe, you know? And, yeah. and that's where, and kind of tying it back to that first question, I, I, I do eventually come down on the side of some kind of outside regulation. Because I think in that case that the issue is, you know, Gamora is going to be so, like, she's going to, it's going to be the most awful thing in the world for her to watch her sister be tortured. So the person who should make that decision isn't the person who has to deal with that. You know, it, it, it right. that, that having some degree of emotional separation from these situations, but, but, but then on the other side, when a person has emotional separation, they don't see the pain. And so they make terrible decisions too. Like it, it. Well, the, the, they the make, reason these are great issues is because there isn't easy answers. They make dispassionate decisions, and I think that's kind of what we're getting at. Might need there might need to be some dispassion in our. If if superheroes were real, we probably wouldn't send a sister on a mission for a sister. Uh, yeah. like that's probably not what we do. But the problem is in these stories is it's not that's not the choice. There's never a choice to send Gamora or not. She's taken by Thanos and that's not really the choice. The choice is you are her sister. You have to watch your sister be tortured forever or at least be tortured with the threat of forever and you or or, or, or give up the thing that might cause the world to end or, or the universe to be cut in half. Like that's that's insanity. I wonder I wonder if Thanos would allowed her to make a call, like if she had some sort of oversight committee or whatever. Like, hold on, let me. I gotta call the union to see if it's okay to tell you where this is. Like, just one sec, one sec. Uh, yeah, no, he wants he wants the stone. Yeah, no, half the universe. Uh, yeah, but Nebula's being tortured right in front of me. Still no? Okay, yeah. All right, well, sorry, can't get it. Sorry, we don't negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's the thing, is I think there needs to be some balance of the dispa- dispassionate and the passionate. And and the thing is that, like, morally, that's what I think. But also, you have to recognize that doesn't make for good storytelling. Exactly. I mean, you don't I, want dispassion in your storytelling. So my ultimate hot take would be, end of Avengers movie. You've got the heroes. They are desperately trying to stop the Chitauri invasion, which will be the probably complete destruction of the world. And from all, except for the fact that this is a movie and the movie, the heroes always make the total long shot, there is no reason to believe that these heroes are actually going to win. And so S.H.I.E.L.D., in that movie, the people who represent the S.H.I.E.L.D. decide to nuke New York. From a movie standpoint, of course you don't want that to happen. But as an ethical question, I'm not sure they're wrong. I'm curious what you guys think. Uh, I'm, oh, I'm with you. That's a tough ethical decision. Like literally yeah, being that's... invaded from space by an army to conquer the world. That nuke might have been the right call. I mean, obviously, uh, it's it was, not putting though. trust in our heroes, uh, which at that time they have no reason to trust our heroes. <laughs> so I don't yeah. think it was the wrong call. That makes and sense. honestly, okay, well, honestly, even, I was hoping for a hot take, and clearly not. <laughs> no, yeah, like it's. I mean, obviously, in the movie, it's like, oh, you were so mad at them. But I think if you're being dispassionate, as they had to be, uh, yeah. But I then, mean, that was a dispassionate council, and and a they, they made the council as well. So there's that oh, too. Yeah, you gotta also that. true. Also true. It's a good reminder that even we're all talking about how great it would be to have this sort of dispassionate. Um, uh, council of people who can make these decisions, but Shield can still be infiltrated by Hydra. You know, any of these. As much as I am an advocate for um, the, the side of, of dispassionate, you know, other people, we always have to remember that that 
everyone has a perspective. You know, no one – the idea that any one group of people is going to be able to be objective is, is – it's just not true. And that's – I think it's what makes it that much harder because, you know, Captain America, his passion does have a point, um, even though it can get Absolutely. him wrong. Um, and that's a good – we probably are not going to have time to, to get too deep into it, but I think it's, it's – I think, and I, I think in, uh, it came up some in Shield and some other shows. That's sometimes why people are are really drawn by the idea of AI, because the thought is, well, a computer wouldn't have passion, so a computer could just always <laughs> make the right decision. Um, yeah, Vision rarely <clears throat> makes the right decision, though. No, nor nor does Ada. <laughs> yeah, uh, although was my, my my podcast host Jacob would want me to point out um, in Ada's case, it's because she gets really bad programming. You know, Ada yeah. gets told from the beginning that she's an LMD, and so she's bad, and she's wrong, and everyone has to be afraid of her, and she gets treated in these terrible ways, and that, of course, she winds up, you know, reacting in awful ways to that. Well, honestly, it's not even her fault, too. It's that it's who created her, because uh, the mm-hmm. the guy that created her is the guy that everybody's scared of. It's not her that they're scared of. It's what he would do with something like that that they're scared of. And right. it's the same way with, with Vision is uh, Vision was created by Ultron, kind of ancillary to Tony Stark. Like, Tony Stark, like we've said, is like the biggest villain in the MCU. So having him create an autonomous robot that can think for itself, like, mm, I don't know that that's the best idea, Tony. Like, why would you put a an Infinity Stone into the forehead of that? Yeah. Well, and it raises, I think, a really interesting question that, I, again, this would be a whole episode on its own, but is, do you view something like Ada, you know, someone like Ada or like Vision through the lens of who they created them or because if you said, well, this person can't be a good moral person because their father was terrible, we'd say, well, that's ridiculous. They get to be their own person. Um, With Ada or vision, we say, well, no, look at their creator. And I I think we probably should look at their creator, but I can also understand that there'd be a strong argument of no, these are morally autonomous beings. (laughs) Tony, you lost another super butt. I mean, that's the question, right? Is is Vision just a super bot? And Tony would argue, no, he's evolving. He's not just a bot. I, I have no idea how I feel on this question. I've been <laughs> a little quiet because I honestly don't know how I feel about AI. <laughs> Matt's just um, sitting there just in my, stark contrast to everything. Like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> my initial uh, my initial feeling on AI, and it's just, it's it's totally a, you know, a this generation bias slash maybe luxury to be this bias at the moment. But at the moment, I feel like a robot is a robot and they don't have the value of human life. You clearly have not seen iRobot. <laughs> well, no, I have. And I've seen a lot of these things and I, I, but like, as of right now, my feeling is that, but that could change if given an experience with a robot that was actually sentient. Um, and I don't think those exist yet. Data is one of my favorite characters on Star Trek. Yeah. I would never want to uh, hurt Data. But, I mean, I don't know. Even, even, even as a kid, uh, Data, I still felt like was a robot. And that, that's, maybe that's super dispassionate of He's me. He's an android Right, the same thing. Um, what the? I, <laughs> I'm leaving. What's, what's, what's the difference? What's the difference? Uh, one looks like a person. I don't think is that the difference. 
Androids are supposed Andro- to like be able to assimilate themselves into human culture by looking like robots and acting like them as well. Robots okay. are just but he, he machines. He was real shiny in season one, though. Yeah, he was. <laughs> um, oh, golden eyes. Oh yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if he's if he's a full on android. Anyway, yeah, I, I just I, I my and that's just my like gut reaction of like they're robots. Whatever we program them, they serve a function. You can literally copy them and store back them up. Like, uh, and, and that's the thing. That's the thing with me. Like, why if if you got a robot and you value its consciousness, and that doesn't mean they're not valuable. It just I I, I just. See, see, I, um, I, I'm most, I I'm mostly with you, but I also know that like 500 years ago, that's who we would have talked about, you know, African slaves or Native American, you know, in servants or whatever. Like, they- I absolutely agree. Um, the difference there is there was all the differences we had there were completely made up. Mm-hmm. Like we were, we were, we were convincing ourselves. That those were differences. So you're saying now, if we, we create, crafted these differences, much like we craft these robots? That, see, that's exactly my point. We craft these robots. They are different. Um, the, it, we, relation, racial relations of the 1600s, uh, 1700s are, are abysmal, and 1800s uh, are abysmal, and it's and it's because we were convincing ourselves we were superior. White people were convincing themselves they were superior uh, to these other races, and they weren't. They're the same species. They right. are. They are us. They are the same. And and we had to uh, through through a lot of pain and uh, and learning. Like the society had to grow to understand that I, androids aren't the same. I, and we're, now now they'll just we got to decide what those differences are. Yeah, man, are and what makes them. <laughs> what makes a sentient thing valuable? What makes a thing sentient and what makes it valuable? I'm sorry, Matthew, you were cutting out there. I don't know what you said. No, no. I, 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 well, first of all, I was, I was kind of making a joke. Uh, not a joke, but I was going to comment that I, I think you're right that obviously so much of that has been solved. There's still, we still have a long way to go about recognizing Absolutely. the met. But, but I do I, – I think at the heart of this, this gets down to a basic que- – not a basic, but a, a fundamental question of do we define humanity as a me- – as a, in terms of life having value – do we find it as an issue of biology? In which case, yes, there's an absolute definite iron line that separates us from robots. Or do we define it as a matter of sentience? Because if so, at this point, again, you know, a Roomba does not have sentience. I really want a Roomba. Oh, man, I'm probably going to like thank, you know, think of it as a god when it cleans my room for me. But, but a, 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 a Roomba does not have sentience. And, but what happens when a robot does achieve sentience? Um, hopefully, it doesn't just immediately destroy us, uh, Terminator style. But uh, well, that's <laughs> and that's all other question. What is sentience? I guess that's the that's yeah, how the, do we that's define the, that? at the root of this. Well, how do you define dissensions? I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't either. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like a lot of the stuff we were just describing about Ada, like uh, you know, oh, she's not bad. She just has bad programming. We make those same arguments about people. Yeah. Um, that that have done horrible things. They 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 just. They were born that way. They were created, uh, you know, like with a deficit. They had the, they could have biology that's broken that causes them to do horrible things, and we don't we and 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 we do think of their sins in a, in, in a lesser way. Like right. oh oh, we found out that guy who committed those ten murders had a brain tumor that was pushing on his aggressive tendencies and. 
oh, that's horrible. And we suddenly have empathy for him that we didn't have before. Like, like we have some of these same issues with, with the human robot. Right. Um, like, you know, and, and that's, well, it, it's a tricky question. I'm not saying it's not. I just don't know when, when that line is crossed. And that, I definitely agree that it is possible that it will be crossed. Mm-hmm. At this point, it has not been. And I don't know. I, it's, it's, a decision, it's a question we need to be asking because eventually we will cross that line. But I don't know when we cross I, it. I, I, I'd, love to, I'd love to talk about it. And I guess here's what I would say is I, I think to me Ada is different than any of those other characters that agree with that. But, but where, and what you're saying about how we have empathy for the others, the thing that I think is important is because we have empathy for those other characters, our heroes at least try to save them before hurting them. You know, when Ruby is starting to get mixed up with a gravitro- gravitonium, um, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, you know, Daisy tries to talk her down. And there's a whole debate about should Yo-Yo have killed her or should we have tried to save Ruby? You know, Talbot, Till the end, Coulson really believes that Talbot can be saved and that Talbot can be convinced to stop doing bad things. Um, I, may, For sure. I may be misremembering. I don't think anyone ever tries to save Ada. Well, I, I, th- I think that Fitz <clears throat> and the – oh, gosh, what's the doctor's name? Uh, Rawlings. Ratcliffe. Ratcliffe, that's it. Ratcliffe. Um, I think that Fitz and Ratcliffe feel that way about Ada. And no one else does. Yeah. And so I think there are characters that do feel that way in S.H.I.E.L.D., but it's uh, – and obviously Ratcliffe's on her side, sort of, so that's right. a different issue. But Fitz, Fitz very much um, thinks that there's value in Ada. Right. Part of that is he is self-reflecting on his time as the doctor, and he is yeah. realizing <clears throat> that she's doing a bad thing because her programming is bad. My programming was bad there for a minute, and I did some bad things. Like, I think there's some of that going on in his mental state. It's not totally... Um, and, and I don't know, I, I, ca- I came out, that's my, again, I don't really believe that, I don't believe that artificial life can't have the uh, value of human life at some point. But as of now, my like just knee-jerk reaction is they're not as valuable as human life. And that's, and that's probably wrong, and at some point that becomes wrong and i just don't know what that point is i want to i want to analyze that i want to understand where where does that point yeah. where does that become uh, a real issue my, my devil's advocate to this matt is that uh we put a whole lot of value on children right but children make fucking terrible decisions edit out my oh, my well, f-bomb if you want this- None of my, none of my, uh, none of my arguments had anything to do with the bad decisions of Ada. It just has to do with the, I don't know. So, so let's let's let's, let's dig into it a little bit because I think that that'll that'll help a lot. Um, uh, one of the things that makes human life valuable, um, that a at least as of now is not true of artificial intelligence, uh, is that human life is unique and can't currently be copied. Like we can't copy our software. Our, 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 our programming to something else. Whereas, as of now, I can't really imagine a world where we create an AI that can't be, like, uh, downloaded and then put into a new body later or whatever. And now that becomes a question when you, you ask, like, maybe they're in a situation where they can't be copied. Uh, right. But, you know, if I were an AI and I valued my life, <laughs> I would every 
10 days or so, sit down to download myself uh, <laughs> and back, back myself up. up. You, back, you back up your computer now. I don't see why we would have a situation in the future where we wouldn't back up AI. Um, oh, if, man. If, if it's something we valued. And you know what I would do if I were an AI backing myself up? I would play the song, Back That Ass Up. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's that's, that's my heroes, the conversation right? entirely. <laughs> that that is one argument for the lack of value of an artificial intelligent being. Uh, that that we you know if you may be in a situation where that's not true, like say an artificial intelligence is trapped on an island for ten years and has all kinds of experiences and it doesn't have the chance to be backed up and then has the, the you know has a is in danger. Then that that you know. That doesn't really work in that situation, but in general, that's probably how I would think about artificial intelligent life in the future. Well, and I think here is where, you know, granted, I have been the <clears throat> uh, the person pushing the most that, like, science fiction and superheroes and all this stuff are great places for ethical debate. But I think here we're finding one of the areas where ethics will start to break down, which is when we're talking about scientific things that are so far divorced from our actual world that... You know, artificial, to me, time travel is the example I bring up all the time, but artificial intelligence is another one. It's so hard for us to actually wrap our minds around what that would look like that it's really hard to actually have an ethical conversation about it because, okay, like, Matt, you make a great point about can it be copied? Well, I don't know. That depends on who's creating the AI. Can't, do we think it could be copied? Do we think it could be unique? Like, it's, the AI raises some really interesting questions, but it's also a time to like look at the, the limits of how far we can right. go because at the end of the day, we're talking about something that is so far – like there's a part of me, my logical mind that says I don't think time travel can ever be logically possible. and I don't think true artificial intelligence could ever be logically possible. I might be entirely wrong there. But yeah, that's kind of how I feel about to, it. You know, like having the discussion of like what makes somebody sentient and – like, can we back up our minds, basically? Uh, it makes me think of the uh, the Netflix series Altered Carbon. Have you guys seen that? I haven't yet. Don't I've heard it. of it. I haven't. Oh, my God. You guys have to watch it. It's, like, it's really, really good. Uh, but it basically it addresses the, uh, the, the outlook of, like, what if people could live forever? Like, yes, it would be great if people could live forever and, you know, not have to worry about disease or anything, but... You know, if somebody who is corrupt can live forever, how bad can they get? How how far gone can they go? Well, and it, it also, society evolves, as we've been discussing in this conversation. Uh, we may think one way now about uh, artificial life, but in the future that may change, just the way that right. race relations have changed. Um but see, even that to to my to my current 2018 mind, that sounds insulting to the racial debate. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I know it shouldn't, <laughs> but it does. It sounds like it's it sounds like I am again. comparing the racial debate to this fictional debate that will you know that is not the same thing, and it it feels it feels diminishing to that debate. Does that make sense? No, it, it totally does. And I, I think that's, I mean, even when I brought up the racial debate, there was a part of me that felt kind of stupid. And like, am I, am I risking offending someone here? Because I'm not in any way trying to compare the two. The, the only point that I'm trying to make is that when we look back to the 1600s, 
the very idea that someone could have literally thought that a, a person's skin color meant they were human or not human seems completely outside the realm of possibility. Bonkers. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, and, and honestly, it shouldn't because racism being as bad as it is, like, is actually not that far off. But it, the way we're raised, especially myself as a white person, like, it feels totally impossible. And, and today, it does to me feel totally impossible that a robot would ever be considered the equal of a human life. Yeah. So my only point there is, I just want to acknowledge that people have thought something was totally – people have thought that a moral judgment about someone else's humanity was totally impossible – and been proven entirely wrong. Yeah, um, I, I'm totally with you on that. I, I just, I, I, that's how I feel now. I'd love to discuss yeah. it further, basically. And I think, I think we probably don't have much time to really get into the nuts and bolts, as it were. Uh, <laughs> I, didn't... I, I think the philosophical discussion of the nature of humanity might be a little bit beyond the scope of the last ten minutes of this podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think that <laughs> I think that's probably correct. Um, we should definitely do this again. This was a lot of fun. Um, right. Well, we could do it over on your well, uh, superhero ethics podcast, or do it again here. Sure. Um, we've got and, obviously lots to talk about, just in the and, Marvel and, realm, and there's so much. And, and not to not to open a big old can of worms, but just because I know it was something uh, you specifically asked about, can I can I just take a minute to comment on the James Gunn thing, which is oh, kind of yeah. meta to the Marvel thing? Please. Uh, this may add an hour to the podcast, but please. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'll try to be brief, but I. Oh, but I don't know that I will. <laughs> that's also fair. That's the, that's um, the thing. I make no promises. I, I will say I'm largely in agreement with you guys. I am. Um, I am um, probably a little bit more critical of the of the comments he made originally, but I think I I am probably just as outraged as you guys are by by. We're talking here about James Gunn being fired from making Guardians of the Gal- Galaxy three, and and I agree with uh, pretty much all the reasons you gave. But there was there was. Two others that, that kept occurring to me that, that you may have mentioned I may have missed, but I wanted to kind of highlight because to me it's where it really comes down on. Um, and the, the first is a simpler one, which is just, you know, if the idea here is that if you have done bad things in the past and said bad things in the past, you shouldn't get to create things in the future, then Disney and Marvel should never make a movie. Because the amount of racism that came out of early Disney movies, Ooh, let alone, yeah. I mean, Pocahontas, yeah. Pocahontas wasn't that long ago. Um, and is incredibly racist, um, mm. let alone Marvel. I mean, you know, I, I heard you guys talk about how the early Luke Cage comics were, were pretty black exploitation racist. Oh, and, yeah. and the movies, you know, and but so again, for them to say, uh, it seems kind of hypocritical. But, but even more, I think the even more important point is, and I remember this, this, this I think you guys can really appreciate, because I know you guys started because of how much you loved Guardians of the Galaxy, this podcast. Mm-hmm. The, the entire point of the Guardians of the Galaxy movie is, and this is a point I, I've heard a couple other people make, but it's not very often, so I don't, this is not entirely original to me, but <clears throat> it's what I really believe. The entire point of that movie is that people who have done really bad things in the past can do good things in the future. Yep. Like that, that's the whole point of the movie. Yeah. And so now for Disney and Marvel to come along and say, because James Gunn did bad things in the past, he can't make a movie about the redemption of people who've made, done bad things in the past. I mean, it's like, did these people not watch their own movie? <laughs> yeah. I, it, it, they're so fundamentally missing the point of the movie itself. Well, um, and, and to that point, <clears throat> I brought it up in one of our other discussions, but so many Disney movies are, and, and so many just the hero's journey in general is all about people doing the wrong thing 
going through hard time and then coming out in the end doing the right thing, you know, triumphing right. over evil and not just evil, external evil, but triumphing over your own cowardice, your own whatever. Like you learn a lesson. That's the whole point of all these morality tales. And it's the point of so many Disney movies. I just want to see like, I, I really wish that I had the Photoshop skills and time to make like a, a solid meme about like different Disney movies and what they mean and like, oh, but James Gunn did a bad thing. He's done. Like, it's not just right. Guardians. It's everything <laughs> that Disney's done and that Marvel's done. Like, they're all about someone doing a wrong thing the wrong way and then having to overcome their internal problems, you know? And, right. <clears throat> and, and that's at the end of the day, like, for me, as an, I don't think I'd call myself an ethicist, but if that's sort of what I am, the, one of the biggest things that ethics cares about is, is consistency is that when you figure out what are the guidelines, what are the values, what are the virtues by which you want to live your life, that you stick to them. And if you I honestly believe... Guns. Yeah, exactly. If I honestly believe that Marvel and Disney believed that we don't want to do... You know, that if a person screws up, then they don't get to be in our movies, then Robert Downey Jr. should have never put on the suit. Yeah. Because oh, he had done some terrible things, and no one is talking about that today. You know? No one... like. I don't has been for a, in prison. Yeah. I don't for a minute believe that Marvel and Disney honestly believe James Gunn shouldn't be allowed to direct this movie because of ethical concerns. I think this is 100% them trying to, you know, capitalize on, on kind of signaling, look, look, look at the kind of things we're doing. We're good people. Yeah. And oh. it just... We We've had a recent I'm, discussion that, uh, you know, further information being brought to light about Ike Perlmutter and his uh, yeah. dealings uh, kind of put it more toward like, oh, it's probably just him being a dick. Yeah. Well, it's probably apparently Ike Perlmutter is um, a bit of a Trumpist and uh, he's the head of Marvel and James Gunn was being very outspoken um, against Trump and uh, Ike Perlmutter came out uh, I, I, I promote basically being in charge of the whole situation. It sounds like he may have had, uh, had some to do with the firing slash, you know, basically that this all may be theories. This is all just stuff we've had people write in to tell us about. So I don't know what's true and what's not, but it sounds like some of this might be actually not even them trying to save face from a, um, not even them trying to save face uh, because they're trying to look like a good company that did a good thing, but they're actually mm -hmm. trying to uh, silence someone's political speech, which is even worse. Yeah. If that's especially the case. Be especially because, I mean, the Guardian, like, of all of the Marvel properties that I think have been, you can look at as the most kind of leftist, Guardians of the Galaxy is certainly not up there. You know, I think in a lot of the movies I would look, you know, if I can imagine any movie being like, oh, that's the one that's going to really piss off the right, Guardians isn't the one that I would put at the top of that list. Yeah. Um, so, the slightest. but yeah. So anyway, that was just my point because I just it, it just has always struck me as it, both so hypocritical and also just like almost if this was the director of any other movie, I could understand it a little more. I still disagree with it, but for Guardians especially, where the whole point, you know, even Guardians two, like Yondu becomes a hero, he tried to sell a child to someone who was going to eat him. Like I yeah. mean. Yondu had done some awful things, but the movie gets to redeem. The movie gets to say he's trying to do something better. We're going to give him a chance to do something better. Um, Absolutely. If 
if this was a tweet Gunn had done a, a month ago, or if he wasn't really repentant or any of that stuff, I, I, I can listen to this. But this just seems like such a case of someone who, who, who did something really stupid and really problematic, understands that, has been very clear about that, has really been trying to do better. I, I, saying you can't get a chance to do better just seems so dumb. I agree. I agree. Redemption is possible. And I think that's like a theme of all of these movies and it should be a lesson that we learn and uh, Disney and Marvel haven't learned it or they don't have the, at worst, they don't have the, at best, they don't have the political or like they don't have the, uh, oh gosh, what is it? the fortitude to stand by their people. And at, at, at worst, they're uh, making, using this whole thing as an excuse to silence someone's uh, first speaking out on what they believe in um, right. and all of that. And I mean, honestly, I honestly, if, if they had come, I'd, I would respect it more and it'd be more consistent if they came out and said, you know what? James Gunn is getting really political and he is becoming a dev- divisive figure. And it's just not what we're about in this company. Uh, I, I would respect them more for firing him for saying political stuff. Like, uh, but they're using this bullshit excuse as a bullshit excuse. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd that, be very upset at them for that. I, I wouldn't like them doing that, but I would at least respect the, um, like you said, the ethical consistency of it. Their movies, uh, you were talking about, you know, that one not being that leftist or whatever. They're, they just don't, they don't really try to be far one way or the other. They try to be down the middle because they're trying to tell general morality tales for everyone. Yeah. Um, and so if they had come out and said, you know, we really try not to be all on one side or the other, but they can't do that because they know that everyone will rise against them from the left and say, you're silencing his speech. So they had to find a bullshit excuse, and that's that's pretty awful. Yeah, and I agree with you, the hypocrisy of it. I mean, like, you know, I, I am one of those who, if they said we're firing him because of his politics, I, I'd be really upset, and it might make me question how much more of the MCU I want to par- partake in. But at least that would seem a lot less hypocritical than this, you know? Yeah. It would seem like I'd, I'd at least be like, okay, you you were clear about what you did, and <laughs> now like I'm going to be clear did, about. But thank you for your honesty. Yeah. Right. And and I mean, like, I need to understand it. It's like a business decision you have to make. He's if he if he's out there being too outspoken politically, you could say like, well, he's just literally he's alienating half the audience. Like we have to. Like I, I we believe in his right to say it, but it's it's our policy to kind of not say not stand on either side of certain things or whatever like and then and, and yeah it would it would be fraught for all other reasons but at least it would be ethically consistent i don't know yeah uh cuz i do i do think i agree with you on that that ethical consistency is pretty key to these sorts of conversations um well guys we have talked a really long time about ethics and we <laughs> hope you have enjoyed it we hope it hasn't been too uh too uh, you know, we talked we talked a lot of things tonight that we don't normally talk, uh, a lot of politics and things. So that was fun, but I hope we didn't uh, step on any toes or get too offensive because this is supposed to be an escapism thing, and we're trying to do that. But it is these are morality tales. They have been since the beginning, and we and we want we want to uh, apply them to our everyday life. It's fun. If you like this kind of talk, you should definitely check out Superhero Ethics. Uh, Matthew S. Fox does that podcast. Uh, it's, I think, everywhere you can get podcasts. You can search Superhero Ethics and find it. It's a really, really good uh, podcast. I enjoy it a lot. 
Did you did you have any last words? It's no. I, I just want to say um, again, thank you guys so much. This podcast has meant. Um, I, I, I think I said this to you uh, in, a, in a letter I sent in once, but I first started listening to you guys when my mother was very sick and I was driving back and forth to California, and you know, just going through not a great time. And this podcast gave me such a uh, an escape from that at a time that meant so much to me. And so now getting to have my own podcast and get to talk to you guys, it just means the world to me. And I'm, I think this has been such a great discussion, and I'm really hoping uh, listeners. Uh, you know, can really take 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 a lot of these conversations and keep thinking about them. And and um, I know you guys get great feedback, and I, I'm really looking forward to hearing. Um, you know, uh, I know you, have, you guys have so many great fans. I'm looking forward to folks telling me how wrong I was on the different ethical stuff I was shooting out here. So uh, <laughs> please, please, include you know, uh, no guest protection to all the people who want to give feedback. I'd love to be a part of those conversations. Um, and so I just wanted to say thank you both on behalf of myself uh, and on behalf of Paul Hoppy, who was the, the my first co-host, and Jacob Malici who I know would have really loved to be a part of this too and wasn't able um, because I know both of them are are also big fans of of all these conversations and uh, uh, Jacob especially now is a huge part of what I'm doing on the podcast he's my partner in that so um, have both of us just thank you guys so much and I look forward to having these conversations again I got one more for you Matt Matthew you have one more one more what oh that Matt sorry 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 (laughs) I'll I'll start over I'm Matthew he's Matt it's easy okay (laughs) I've got one more for you Matthew Go for it. Was it better for the Avengers to patronize the shawarma establishment (laughs) rather than help clean up? I mean, good shawarma is really good shawarma. That's true. And I I will say I, I I grew up in New York City most of my life. I have moved out to the Midwest recently, and I love the Midwest in so many, so many ways. You can't get a lot of good food here, including good shawarma. Mm. Um, And especially if that was, if that was pizza, um, I, I would have to be like, yeah, you know, you just saved the world. You deserve a good slice of pizza, especially because <laughs> it, it, it would have raised a chance for what is, I think, the one ethical line that I, I cannot cross. I can support any political opinion like, or most political opinions. I can support DC over Marvel. You put pineapple on pizza. You are ethically over the line in any <laughs> world I've ever believed in. <laughs> Oh man, thank you so much for coming, Matthew. Uh, it really means a lot that our uh, our podcast could be there for you at a hard time, and it really like makes it all worth it. To uh, honestly, the, the silly thing we do could be there for anybody at a hard time, and that's awesome. That meant a lot to me. Thank you for saying it. Um, we are the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. Uh, hit us up at mcucast.com, at mcucast on Twitter, facebook.com slash mcucast, mcucast at gmail.com, or call us at 573-CAST-MCU if you would like to uh, call us and leave us a voicemail. Um, if you'd like to support the cast, check us out at patreon.com slash mcucast. You can support us there. Um, all right, guys, we'll be back. Talk to you soon. Until next time, true believers. Mm-hmm.